Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Bob or You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey everybody, welcome to Go Home Bible, You're Drunk, the podcast where we pull out our Bibles and grab a drink of some sort of beverage and try to figure out why they were teaching us this stuff when we were children. Because as Lauren O'Neill likes to say, the Bible is not appropriate for children. So I guess we can always, we could start every single podcast with just like a blanket trigger warning. The Bible has rape and incest and like genocide and a lot of this stuff is glorified. All the things are in all the Bible. Of the, all of the things are, the Bible has everything. Mm-hmm. It's got something for everyone, Nazis included. Um, I'm Tori. I'm a former evangelical. Not that anymore. And, you know, I definitely was like, I was raised in all of this, but I chose it for myself for a long time as well, because I didn't know how to get out. Hence, starting this podcast, hopefully making it a little less lonely for people trying to get out. I also yeah. have a co-host. Hi, my name is Justin. I am. Um, I was one of the people that was making it harder to get out. Uh, I was a pastor. You know, I would like to actually think the last five years of ministry, I made it tolerable for people to stay in mm-hmm. and and possibly easy to get out. Um, but you know, I, I'm here, uh, hopefully, helping people laugh at it a bit, and also just learning. You know, it's okay to laugh at it. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the good work we do. I think is it's okay to laugh at this because it's funny and it's weird, and it's better than crying all the time, which you need to do sometimes. But yes, but I think um, you know, as as Tori and I were talking earlier about you know what we were going to talk about today, we've decided we were talking about a, a, maybe a third way to get out. Um, nice. <laughs> You can laugh, or you can cry, or you can, apparently, you can do psychedelics. And that will also be a way for you to get out. There was, I mean, yeah. the science says. And this is science. It's part of a, a scientific study. So, and so, it, you know, you have to, you have to believe it. So, um, <laughs> you have to believe you it. You must believe it. <laughs> Um, there was, a, so, so you know, there was a, a guy named, does it say his full name? I don't know. Uh, Brendan. Um, he was doxxed by, yeah. so it's out there somewhere. I don't know what his full name is personally. Brendan, he, you've probably seen his picture. He mm-hmm. was part of the Charlottesville rally. He, you know, very much a white supremacist, very much a, you know, a blood and soil Christian, mm-hmm. if you can say that. 
but he, and now I think the caveat here is he was seeking psychological help. And this is a scientific study. This isn't just him like, you know, tripping balls in his kitchen, but (laughs) he took MDMA as a part of his, um, as part of this study and came out of the experience, not a white supremacist anymore. Like very much, um, yeah. Reconsidering all of his preconceived notions and, yeah, this experience has helped me sort out a debilitating personal issue. Google my name. I know what I need to do. Like, so. Like, <laughs> yeah, he writes, he writes this note to the the people. So he went and did this, he participated in this clinical research trial. Um, and then after taking MDMA, which he, from what I understand, didn't know that he'd been given that. Yeah. So like his kind of, his kind of like outtake or, or, you know whatever exit interview form that they had him fill out. He's like, Google my name and you'll know. And they're like, mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. He's like, I, I, I need help. So it's, I, I think that's, that is the caveat. There was, there has to be a, a certain amount of like understanding that what you're doing is wrong, but I find it, I feel like this is ultimately a good story, you know, mm-hmm. because it, it is showing one, the power of these medicines, you know, and you know, why, you know, particularly, I mean, MDMA is maybe on the, the edge, but why plant medicines in general have been outlawed. But I think mm-hmm. also, I do think it underscores an interesting root cause of a lot of white supremacy, a lot of, um, you know, particularly the more vocal, like anger, you know, paranoia that comes with a lot of these. And as that it's just really unmet or unaddressed psychological needs that, that people need help with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is really interesting because, and I think we're, we're going to get into, well, we might get into a little bit of this, but recently on uh, Straight White American Jesus, Bradley had somebody on who is basically an expert in extremism. And um, mm-hmm. the one thing that I really took away from that episode is that, uh, so she does, she does research on extremists, how people fall into these patterns and like what it looks like to keep that from happening. Obviously it's mostly disaffected young white men, but not exclusively by any means. And, but I was really struck by the fact that she said, there's al- there's there's almost nothing you can do once a person goes down this path in terms of like rehabilitation according to the data at least mm-hmm. this thus far we don't we there's no there's no way that's better than like you know whatever you're you're why is my brain not working right now? <laughs> Random chance. Better than your control. Yes. Yeah. There's no, there's, we don't have any methods that are better than just like your control group of getting people out of that mindset, but preventing people from becoming radicalized in the first place is actually quite easy. And there are lots of things that we can do to prevent people from going down the path, which I thought was really, really interesting. But then hearing this specific story was, you know, it was, it was really encouraging because I, it's something I think about a lot. It's like, Oh, like, yeah, once people, once people kind of become radicalized, it's very hard to unradicalize them. And like Justin pointed out, I do think it is really important to note that like this individual was seeking help. He, like I said, he ended up being doxxed because of like the Charlottesville thing. And he'd started a like white supremacist group. I don't know, some in the Midwest somewhere. And then once he was outed, like lost his job, his, his family, like largely wanted nothing to do with him. (laughs) And, you know, his world was sort of falling apart. And so he decided to participate and, in enroll in this like random study. 
where, you know, he, like I said, he didn't know that he was being given any drug. Like he could have been given a placebo if they were doing the study right. And yeah. So he actually wanted to improve his life and he couldn't figure out like where precisely he'd gone astray. And it was really, really interesting that like in this, literally in this one session, it clicked for him. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, was, was really encouraging. And I, I don't know. I have, I have, I have more thoughts about, about, you know, these kinds of drugs in general. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's, it's interesting that I think it, it takes that level of intervention once someone has gone down that road. Cause I, I do think there are people that I, I wrestle with the idea that people are too far gone or not. Yeah. Totally. Um, because you, you know, like when we think about someone like Furry Ben Shapiro, like we're not going to convince them otherwise on anything. I don't think. You know? Yeah, I agree. But sometimes, like life will take you and put your face in the mud and not let you up <laughs> for long true. enough that you were willing to confront yourself. Mm-hmm. And and psychedelics do that <laughs> sometimes kind of trap you in yourself and force you to look at yourself. Yeah, just some of his descriptions are just like, you know, seeing the connections between everybody and you know, began thinking like, why did I jeopardize all my relationships for this, you know? And, and I mean, it's, it's kind of a beautiful story, really. And I'm not going to go into every, all the details, but it's just, it, it, um, it's also sad to me too, that at least in this country, there was so much psychedelic research that was going on in the sixties and seventies, some of it unethical. I will say. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. But, Especially the stuff that the U S military was doing. Yeah. The U S military, <laughs> but also like the stuff that, um, Ram Dass before he became Ram Dass was involved in. Um, oh, okay. They were giving, and someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, they were giving Harvard students like, they, well, I think they couldn't force them to take psychedelics but they did force them to take a class for which psychedelics were a part. So it was like those, mm. anyway, very un- unethical mm. stuff mm-hmm. that they got yeah. fired for. Actually, I can't remember Ram Dass's original name. I, it's like some bland name, but anyway. And other folks too that were kind of involved in that whole clique of people that, you know, got really high a lot. Yeah. But I think it's, it is interesting that we abandoned so much of that. And I think that now some of it's coming back and just the way it heals people, the way it helps people with depression and anxiety. Um, and, and there was a, there was an article on religion dispatches that kind of alluded to that as well. There's another documentary or a book coming out, I think. Um, yeah, I think it just came out the book. Yeah. So, um, for those of that may remember like the family, um, which was about, I think we kind of covered that on one episode, just about the whole like weird Christian, the gentler Christian nationalists. He is writing another book, uh, Jeff Charlotte, I think his name is, um, he's writing another book, uh, kind of about the more violent ones. And, and it, part of the reason I bring it up is they did talk about how, a lot of this is people that have unprocessed grief, unprocessed mm-hmm. trauma, unprocessed you know anger of some kind, and and basically turn it into more violence and animus and things like that. Which honestly, I think even those that are in the deconstruction community, we have a lot of unprocessed grief. We have a lot of unprocessed anger, 
And yep. we also do sometimes turn it on other people until we get help. And that's I, what I like about this community is that therapy is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of what we're trying to do is to bring levity and laughter to it. But I do think that when I think that there are two sides of this coin and just unfortunately the other side, even um, I mean, sides are, that can be a fraught topic anyway, uh, but is handing people guns. <laughs> um, and, and that's where it gets kind of dangerous and scary. But I do think it, it, this MDMA story and a few others to me speaks to the fact that a lot of what is going on in people is just unprocessed trauma. And yes. I mean, we, we just, we we're still in, we just went through, depending on your perspective, a pandemic mm-hmm. that we were all traumatized by on some level, yeah. by yep. everyone, like every human being on the planet. Mm-hmm. So if we aren't going to deal with that, um, and I'm not saying everyone should have MDMA. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Maybe we should just put it in the water for a week and let God sort it out. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. Everybody, everybody keeps joking about that. They're like, yeah, we're, I don't know. We're just going to chemtrails. Let's try it. See what, what happens. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. But I do think that, that I think that's something we need to address and we need to think about. Mm-hmm. And when we talk to family members that maybe aren't like, I mean, if your family member was at like, you know, January 6th or Charlottesville, maybe you don't need to talk to them. They could be too <laughs> far gone. But the family members that it is a little more obvious where it's a little more unprocessed grief and trauma. Like, I think, I think that that's a better approach than like, here are the, here are the, here's the data as to why you're wrong. Cause data, uh, data doesn't speak quite as much as fear and, and oh more, God, yeah. and more, uh-huh. and more heart and, and a more heartfelt approach too to try to understand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it is probably worth bringing up, um, you know, like I've, I've mentioned this before a lot on Twitter, actually, but it definitely seems to me, at least, that the people who became evangelicals in like the 70s and 80s, those people, and then raised their kids in like purity culture and whatever, those people all seemed really traumatized. Like I've, you know, I've definitely like put it out on Twitter and asked people like, we're, you know, did your parents have trauma growing up before they became evangelicals? And like, everybody said at least one of their parents did. Hmm. Like all the responses I got. Clearly not a scientific study or survey by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I, I don't I don't think that it is an accident that we are seeing this kind of overlap of politics and religion sort of converging into the same space. And it is all these people with unprocessed trauma who are really angry and you know, don't, from, from my perspective, like, I don't really know how you experience joy in that space. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't, but it just, if you're, if you're that angry about other people that are not affecting you at all, like nothing that, nothing that those people over there, like the, whatever, the LGBTQ, queer, trans, whatever, is like not affecting you in any way. Yeah. Like they clog up the street once a year. Like, (laughs) You know? The straights, the straights do clog up the street more than once a year, for what it's worth. Yes, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's worth noting that like a lot of those people are fucking traumatized, and that's why they went to evangelicalism in the first place, and a lot of them took their unprocessed anger out on us, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so I think that there's a reason that that we're seeing this kind of this overlap of anger and trauma and wanting political power. Yeah. And well, and that's like processing nuance 
and difference and new ideas even that's that's a very energy intense activity for your brain mm -hmm. like just when it, even when it just comes to just the raw physics of it like it takes a lot of energy to change your mind and it's a bit of a privilege in some ways to have the space and the extra calories to do that it's a lot easier to just get mad mm -hmm. like because and even just from an evolutionary standpoint like being able to just sit back and think and process is, is not as advantageous as like getting super mad and like killing things like that's reacting. like yeah. and just reacting mm -hmm. on impulse so i think i think we're fighting our own biology in some ways and yeah. we're fighting a lot there's there's so many systems at play i guess is what i'm trying to say which again is why like maybe that's why nature made mushrooms that <laughs> chill you the fuck out oh yeah seriously <laughs> like you people need to calm down yeah thank you here wow we need to give them something to like bliss them take out the, for a bit take the edge off mm -hmm. oh man mm -hmm. i yeah i completely completely agree there are i i will say also there i, I told I, i've mentioned this several times i've been getting like these ads for for ketamine therapy there are a lot of clinical trials going on in the u.s right now compared to like you know i don't know when you and i were kids Mm -hmm. That's something you can just that's something you can just Google like there are websites that have lists of clinical trials that are happening in your area, you can go and look those up and apply to be a research study participant if this is something that you have interest in. And because you know, the NIH is finally letting some people study this. And yeah, I think, you know, having more people participate in research studies is is a good thing just in general. And, you know, typically, you also get paid some amount you know, and they'll usually like reimburse you for your travel costs and things like that. So it's not, uh, you're not just like volunteering your time and energy and emotions to be drugged <laughs> by some rando. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they, most, most clinical trials will pay research participants because otherwise it's not only certain, only certain people can afford to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if that's something that any of you all are interested in, I have, I have been poking around the internet mainly because of that ketamine ad <laughs> just to like see you know what what was out there i will also say you were also no longer allowed to get ketamine in mexico without a prescription from a doctor just a little sad <laughs> that is <laughs> too, many, too many too many gringos are abusing the the loophole the mexico loophole mm -hmm. oh man so yeah if you have access to someone like that you know you're interested i think that's that's very important I would definitely not try that without a buddy or some experience. I think, I think, I think our, I think the official uh, position of the podcast is don't try it if it's illegal. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> if it's legal where you are, which it may be at this point in like, you know, a very small hand, handful of municipalities or not illegal mm -hmm. in some places. Uh, yeah. Have, yeah. Have, have a buddy for sure. Our editorial position is don't break the law. And have a buddy. <laughs> Wink. Oh, yep. I mean, it's important. It's important. It's important mm, for sure. And so, yeah, this you know, this could be the way to help us process our trauma and maybe take take a few white supremacists off the street as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. They, I, well, that was something else that came up from more from the MDMA study was they've been apparently using this on um, cops in the UK. Oh, and it's also been working very well. Yeah. I, so good news, people, for once. 
Yeah, I well, like since you bring this up, I I read a book a few years ago that was you know super helpful, and this author she was talking about, um, she actually did trauma therapy with police officers because the the retirement suicide rate amongst police officers is pretty high. Um, you know, it's, they, it's many many times what the general population. Yeah, so you like know, police, many times. police officers retire, and then suddenly all that trauma that they've been pushing down because they've just got to get up and do their job, but that all, all of it, 20, 30 years worth of it hits you. Um, and, and she was working with, um, she was working with, you know, police officers and, and other people that have been through, you know, traumatic jobs. Um, and, and mm-hmm. again, we can, we can say all cops are bastards. And I would say that's probably true in a lot of cases, but at the same time, like, this is still a human being that has faced a lot of trauma. And so she, she works yeah. with police officers to try to like make them a little less twitchy. And that's, that's the people's work. I think it is absolutely. So, uh, but doing a lot of different meditation techniques, doing some, you know, drug trials um, mm-hmm. to be like, Hey, just realizing that this is a traumatized population um, yeah. because of the job that they do. And because yeah. of the way that they have to do it, the way that it's, you know, required of them to do. You know, and I think there's a lot that of God of good that could be done if we could, as a as a culture, take a step back and be like, hey, maybe what maybe the way that we have to live life and the way that we police each other, the way we handle politics is traumatizing to people and and makes people more violent and makes people more racist and you know gives them doesn't help them out of that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, don't do drugs and but. Maybe drugs are good. Both both of those things can be true at the same time. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Because I've never experienced psychedelics. No. Never. It's bad bad for you. And if I did, I bet it would be life changing. And also you would be a criminal. Mm-hmm. Which I wouldn't do that. Because crime. Because crime is out of control. Crimes that's like the crime mean. rate. Anyway, let's go. We're going to punt to capitalism real quick, and then we're going to talk about something else that's criminal, uh, and that's Mormonism. Uh, so we'll be right back. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, everybody. Thanks for taking a little capitalism break with us. Um, Oh, we we enjoyed the break. Um, we we bought a, a Lexus and a McDonald's hamburger. So, if you don't want those capitalism breaks, or if you're like, you know what, I want to support the show directly, not just vaguely through capitalism, join us uh, 
uh, patreon.com slash go home Bible. Uh, you can check us out there. Uh, you can get episodes a little bit early. You can also join our discord, uh, which has, you know, like-minded folks, you know, sharing memes and pictures of their pets and this, that, and the other, and just discussions about episodes and what's going on. It's a good time. So join us on discord. You can also hang out with us on discord, uh, on, you know, some months we do, instead of recording episode, we just hang out and it's a good time. So including, including this month, including this month, people love, I think it may have happened by the time this episode posts, but, Oh, that's fair. Yeah. That's know, a good point. Okay. We'll catch but, you. Uh, if, if not, we'll catch you on the next one. So yeah, it could definitely. be happening tonight. If this is a Thursday, <laughs> <laughs> just join us and you'll find out. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Also, if you want, you can follow us on the socials at Go Home Bible. Uh, you can also follow me at Justin D. Gentry on Twitter. If Twitter still exists, I heard that Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk were going to have some kind of cage fight. I don't know if that's for Twitter. I don't know. I'm the all... only way that we win is if both of them lose. <laughs> yes. I think if both of them knock each other unconscious indefinitely, that that's when the people win. But so I'm also on the Blue Blue Sky app Blue, at, at Blue my ski. name, Blue Ski, Blue Sky, whatever, the Brewski. Are they really called skeets? Like This is what I've been told. This is what they're called I've been skeets. Told. And I cannot get that Ah Skeet Skeet song out of my head <laughs> since joining Blue Sky. Um, but I'm just oh, Justin man. Gentry on that. I'm the first. I'm the first. I'm never yeah. the first on any social media. I'm the first. So, yeah. So, Tori, where, where can people Congrats. find you, Tori? God, you can find me on Twitter at Tori Glass. Sometimes, depending on how I'm feeling that week, I might be yelling about a thing. You can find me on Instagram at my homework, where I share like anti-racism tips and tricks. No, I, I share like datas <laughs> about, not datas, I share data about racism, anti-racism, and, you know, policies that we know work to mitigate harm. Because, um, yeah, like harm reduction is kind of my my moral framework, if you will, mm -hmm. ethical framework. Having left evangelicalism, um, I did not immediately go and commit murders. Or rather, I did immediately after asking Jesus to leave my heart, mm -hmm. go and commit all of the murders I wanted to, which as Justin said, is zero. And what else? Oh, yeah, I have a weekly anti-racism newsletter you can sign up for if you're interested in that sort of thing. It's at toryglass.com. Those are my current places Yeah, on I, the interwebs. Yeah, now that I've left evangelicalism, I murder and enslave all the people I want to. Yep, 100% of them. Yep. 100% of zero is zero. It's, it's zero. So that's where you can find us on the things. And if you're like, I don't want to follow you, I don't want to join Patreon. That's fine. Share the episode. Give us a five-star review. That'd be great. We'd really appreciate it. So uh, this week, we're going to just talk vaguely and generally about Mormonism, which I feel like is the cousin, maybe, to evangelicalism. I Because I, yeah. I, here's, here's I, even growing up in evangelicalism, I was told that Mormons weren't Christians. They were maybe going to hell. They were mm -hmm. crazy. But I also think that evangelicals look at them and I'm like, but that's my kind of crazy. Like, mm -hmm. I like what they're doing over there. And mm -hmm. so Mormonism, and I think evangelicalism, just religious conservatism generally have, has, they've, which, which is the tail and which is the dog? Um, <laughs> we don't know. Um, 
<laughs> so I, I, but I think for a drinking game, I, rather than just like one that's just evokes existential dread, I think when we talk about Mormonism, if you find something that's just like, this is new, I didn't mm. know this, um, mm-hmm. take a drink or do a push up or say a positive affirmation or whatever it is that you do when we do these drinking games, you do that and enjoy it. So we also have started a new thing called the conundrum, the conundrum, the conundrum. Yes. And we want to, we want to engage in your participation. So you can tweet about the conundrum. You can email us um, at go home or go home Bible at gmail.com. And you can tell us about your answers to the conundrum or maybe your experience with this conundrum. And Tori is going to introduce the conundrum to you and just something you can be thinking about as we talk about this. Uh, yeah, definitely. So our, our conundrum question of the week is, if you were forced to choose, would you uh, wear Mormon underwear on a long, hot summer day under All your day. clothes? All day. All day. And you can't just wear the underwear. You've got to wear your real underwear and then the Mormon underwear and then your clothes. All day. And, in the middle of summer. And Mormon underwear is like... Long johns? A, like a Star Trek suit that yeah. you wear underneath your clothes. Yes. Or would you rather have a three-hour-long conversation with a Mormon missionary? So, yeah. I think I'm going underwear. Yeah? I think I'm going underwear. Okay. Why is that? Maybe just because I'm tired today, but just the thought of like <laughs> having to sit through that conversation just does not appeal to me at all. I, I, you know, I, my body can figure out how to regulate itself mm. wearing the Star Trek panties that Mormons have to wear. <laughs> the magic suit um you know i have recently this is kind of kind of yeah i just recently discovered uh i'm having a much harder time regulating in the heat Hmm. this year than i have previously you know in the past if i if i had ice water it like didn't wouldn't matter how hot it was um i'd be fine and now that is very much not the case. So I am going to go with a three-hour conversation with a Mormon missionary in which my goal would explicitly, no, not explicitly, implicitly be seduction rather than conversion. So Yeah, I suppose. Being straight, that's not an option for me. There's lady missionaries. There are, Justin, I've never on. seen. I've never seen oh, a lady well, Mormon you're, missionary. Well, you're, you're, you're in Ohio. Maybe there are fewer of them there. I like Idaho is right next door to Oregon, even though Oregon's fucking massive and is in like multiple <laughs> time zones. And Idaho is like majority Mormon, <laughs> which I that's something I should take a drink because I did not know that. Um, but yeah, per capita, Idaho has the most Mormons um, of any state in the union. And so, yeah, we definitely got like lady, lady Mormon missionaries. Oh, well. If, if I was so to run so. into one, I would tell them I'm wearing the Mormon underwear, and that would be my end. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, yeah, it's hard because like they don't. They're. I mean, I guess we're. I guess we're starting already. But the missionaries, you know, they're like, you have to go out between like when you're like 1920. I think is typically when they send send you out on your mission, and uh, your family has to pay for it. First of all. So that's cool, I guess. Um, you know, despite the fact that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has one hedge fund, I guess. They have some sort of a fund that is worth 
billions a hundred billion like slightly over a hundred billion dollars wow. if i recall correctly that's more that i will take a drink that I is know it was that much i know that's a lot, not but. even like that's that's one of their funds like they have many that they have hidden <laughs> in other places <laughs> and i don't know i don't think that includes like all the property they own all the colleges that they own which why are they allowed to have those like you should you shouldn't get money from the federal government if you are uh, a discriminatory institution, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like, but it's it's a not for profit business. I mean, not for profit church, Tori. It it is, yeah, it is. But if they, you, if you have a billion a dollars, you should be not in a nonprofit anymore. That's just my thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is a really good point. And something that was really interesting because, um, and this is something we we're going to talk about, but um, something that came up of note comparing um, what's been going on in the in the Mormon church in the last couple of years, where they have had people have kind of been like hemorrhaging from the church. But I also, I don't know why I didn't get around to this until now, but I also finally ended up checking out Under the Banner of Heaven from the library, which talks about how Mormonism is like the fastest growing. So Under the Banner of Heaven was written in 2001, published in 2002, if I recall correctly, somewhere somewhere in that time. And um, in the book, the author talks about how Mormonism is like the fastest growing religion on the planet. And it's like one of the youngest religions. It has like the highest, like Utah has the highest, uh, Utah County, Utah rather, has the highest birth rate of anywhere in the country and has a higher birth rate than like, some like poor countries <laughs> that don't have access to any kind of birth control and talking about how there are all these research, like religious researchers who are like, okay, like this could be like the world's next big religion. Oh, and then I don't remember when this came out, but there is a letter that was published. It was called the CES letter um, that basically was a list of questions about ways that the church's doctrine like either didn't comport with like ethics or history or like other things that the church had said or done and um like the behavior of of the prophets and you know including joseph smith and, mm-hmm. and brigham young and all of them and i believe that came out or like got more widely published in like 2013 i could be wrong about that like i could be totally off on that but they have been since it came out right got big they've been like hemorrhaging <laughs> members <laughs> Yeah, it looks like they peaked kind of in the very, 90s. Like, very different. Yes. And I mean, honestly, the trend line for Mormonism, while probably their raw numbers may be more, like it's a lot of the same, you know, it's the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, a lot of these conservative denominations, they had massive growth between like 1960 and 1990. Mm-hmm. And then you hit the year 2000 and then it's like it kind of plateaus and then it starts to decline starts and then, falling and then the the decline just gets steeper and steeper as you go mm-hmm. um yeah and then shockingly in 2020 there's a like it's almost like a, it's almost goes, goes straight down straight <laughs> drop it drops off yeah but i mean i think that before covid there were yeah, I mean, I don't remember the exact number, but before COVID, there were many tens of thousands of of missionaries out in the Mormon missionaries out in the field. You don't have any say in like who you, where you go, where you get placed, obviously. 
you're just sort of told that. And it's just, yeah, it's just sort of like the expectation. If you are, if you're a man, I don't know, like we're 19 year old boys and whatever. Mm-hmm. T- technically, yeah, if, legally, they are men. Legally. Like, anyway, you're basically expected to go out on a mission. I think if you're like a woman, you're not required to, but it's kind of seen as like a, a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and a lot of people have to do it because, you know, like their grandparents or parents are like, you're going to get written out of the will or we're not going to pay for your college or, you know, it's just very like uh, financial, economic exploitation in some weird way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was a funky little funky little upstart religion from from the uh, the Second Great Awakening, which was a funky little upstart religion time <laughs> yeah yeah we, we talked about that a, a couple several episodes ago where it was just like yeah a lot of weird religions came out and you know many of them died but mormonism i think it's because they just fled out west honestly i think they fled in uh-huh. the middle of nowhere and then bred um <laughs> so uh, i actually do i do need to correct something mormonism yeah. there is hasn't been a decline as steep but their growth rate is what has bottomed out they're essentially breaking even every year which, you know, the growth rate was like three, almost 3% uh, at one point, which, yeah. you know, when you're talking about like 17 million people, that 3% growth is pretty, is a lot. That's significant. Yeah, yeah, um, that's significant. But now it's essentially even. Yeah, and I think a lot of that stopped because of COVID. They had all these missionaries out in the field who couldn't do anything. They were all under lockdown. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think that that helped. But yeah, and, and like, like evangelical missionaries, they're, missionaries do not offer any material benefits to anyone they just say hey did you know that you're going to hell you need to convert oh tori actually the one time i did run into mormon missionaries i have a story Mm -hmm. to tell yes was when i used to work when i was in seminary and before seminary i used to work as a somewhat landscaper but also i did uh, landscape and architectural lighting so like we'd work with electricity we'd like houses that were big enough and pretty enough they're like oh we need to light them up at night i'd Mm -hmm. work on those so we were like burying wires and stuff. And these Mormon missionaries mm. stopped by on their little bikes, you know? And like, I think they were like, here's a captive audience of working <laughs> people that can't leave. They can't you know? leave. And they just like would not go away. And they were like, you, you need some help? Like, we'll help you work. And I'm like, listen, suit and tie. Like, this is a liability for you to be digging in here with us. <laughs> Like, it's not a, like it was just it was, it was just annoying as fuck. Like, like you, you're distracting me from this work, and, and now I have to like worry about your safety while you're like wandering. Like, get, go away! Like, please go away. Oh, that was my, really my only in, encounter that lasted more than a minute. Yeah, that that makes some amount of sense. I mean, they're they're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> like. They're, they're not allowed to have phones or internet. <laughs> like it's, 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 yeah, they're really in kind of like this silo of, of information, right? Cause they have to get all their information from, from the church directly. Yeah. So anyway, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about, talk about them, their, yeah. their history and such because Joseph Smith was a straight up guy. And only had one wife. Is that correct? He was he was a straight up guy. I mean, he was a straight up guy. He wasn't straight up with many people, but um, 
He was a straight up guy. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he was kind of, I, Joseph Smith was kind of like born at like the perfect place at the perfect time to like do what he ended up doing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Mormonism, as we've talked about, started in the burned over district of New York and over time ended up fleeing the United States to Utah, which was neither a state nor a territory um, at the time. And yeah, the, the U S did not like them. So they had, they had, once they started doing all the the polygamy, which I'm not inherently opposed to can be the way that Mormons do it is very fucked up because it's patriarchal, but it doesn't have to be that way. I'm just saying. If it's non-patriarchal, um, is it just polyamory though? Yeah, totally. But I mean, there's different there's different kinds of like poly suffixes that de- designate like what the makeup of the group is. Yeah. Like, so for which, a lot of these people, like poly polygamy is the correct term, even mm-hmm. if it's not patriarchal. But yeah, so I uh, the burned over district, as we mentioned reference to the second great awakening which was just like a huge wave of like revival meetings and religious startups and like all this just sort of cultural fascination with like anything spiritual at all it was it was very much not limited to like christianity or like christian adjacent sects it was it was just like anything goes kind of a time (laughs) and really kind of kicked off in like 17 and 1790s and sort of started to fizzle out in like the 1830s joseph smith was born like in 1805, I think. So he was like right in the middle of that like upswell, which was why I said he was kind of yeah. born at the perfect place at the perfect time to the perfect family for what he wanted to do. And I think like there were, we talked about this a little bit, but there were like some kind of cool things about the Second Great Awakening. It was, you know, it was sort of like a rejection of, I don't know, like the conventional ways of doing church and religion and it was all of this just like weird sort of wacky theology and spirituality and like itinerant preachers and like spiritism and mm-hmm. the holiness movement which i think you probably know about yeah because i think that your school was like part of that yeah the pilgrim holiness um, movement like that was kind of part of their what was one of the kind of strands that got, ended up getting grafted into the wesleyan church and you know there's oh, okay. there's yeah, these kind of holiness movements that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when I think most people listening to this know, like when spirituality just runs amok with no rules, sometimes weird stuff comes out in the wash. And mm, yeah, uh, I think Mormonism is one of those things <laughs> for sure. You know, like, because the first great awakening was the legacy of that in a lot of ways was y'all are going to hell. Like that's, yeah. you know, that was, you know, that was, you know, Jonathan Edwards, but John Wesley was part of that too. George Whitfield mm-hmm. just, you know, mm-hmm. a bit, you know, these, these religious movements, this was, you know, very much the second great awakening was, you know, kind of just thinking of like the pre-war South, you know, like that's, you know, the antebellum period, like that, that's, you know, the spiritualism. And you think of like, you know, parlor seances and stuff you know, yeah, for, for fun. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, and that's, for that's fun. kind of interesting. That's, there's a, totally. there's a lot of experimentation, I think. And, and I don't, I, we could go into what started it and all that stuff, but it's, um, I, I think it's, you know, just very much like a romantic supernatural, you know, we're just interested in exploring ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, again, Mormonism was the lasting legacy of that. So you can say what you will. <laughs> um, but yeah, to the burned over yeah. district. 
Yeah, definitely. I think like part of part of what Mormonism kind of like latched onto a little bit too when it you know when it came to be was this idea of like the restoration movement of like putting people in charge of like their own relationships with God, not having like a an intermediary or like somebody else telling you how your relationship with God was supposed to go. You just got to like make it up as you go along. And I think that that might have been why it had such a large appeal with women and um, black folks, because it was very much about kind of like breaking the traditional rules and norms. Um, obviously, like Mormonism and Adventism are part of that. But and I didn't I didn't know this, but the AME church, the African Meth- uh, Methodist Episcopal Church also came out of the Second Great Awakening, which I actually had no idea. <laughs> that that was the case and also like traditional religions whatever you know baptists and and such they also got like a huge boost during this time as well Mm -hmm. um yeah so it was just it was like a full full full-fledged revival yeah and and, but and it's i think there were good things that came too i think yeah there was like a lot of activists for abolition Mm -hmm. and the underground railroad I, i think of like charles finney he's a he was a uh I think he's a Presbyterian minister. Rejected a lot of, you know, Calvinism and stuff, but he mm-hmm. um, was an advocate for, you know, the Underground Railroad and things. He also, here's my reason why I bring him up. He's the one that more or less invented the altar call. Oh. Um, you know, he would be the one traveling around and like he would like, he'd like make, you know, there'd be a pew open in the front, you know, like. Mm-hmm. And so that that kind of like call to action type thing. And uh yeah and he and but his call to action and repentance was like abolition mm. so so like stand or if you're a christian you know and he would actually like he would people would get saved and you know, he would be like oh because you're saved now come and sign this petition for the abolition <laughs> of slavery <laughs> like we know who you are because you came to the front and yeah so i mean kind of an asshole thing to do but also genius like yeah, I shouldn't say of. asshole, like magnificent bastard thing to do. Like, <laughs> like, um, so like, so yeah, the altar call is another, I, so I, maybe that's the more lasting legacy of the second great mm, awakening, but, yeah, maybe um, so. but yeah, he definitely used that as a like kind of subversive move to be like, all right, you signed up to be a Christian and signing up to be a Christian means you're an abolitionist now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not really mad about it to no, be honest. Not at all. <laughs> Coercing people into being abolitionists is like <laughs> low yeah. key one of my dreams. Um, <laughs> and white people in upstate New York, especially, like yes. Yeah, I think there was a lot of like, well, we don't do that, mm-hmm. so you know, we just get to like look down on people that do and like not not actually get our hands dirty in any way. Yes. So. So rather than being an abolitionist. Joseph Smith. Well, that that is kind really of, fucking interesting. Kind of went the opposite um, way, maybe. Well, so Joseph Smith, this is <laughs> one of my friends. Okay, so so Joseph Smith was like the the founder of, of Mormonism, right? And then um, after he died, the church kind of fractured, and like the biggest chunk of it was taken over by Brigham Young. It it looks like Joseph actually did like make bring bring black men into into the church as hmm. like priesthood holders or i can't remember the term that he that he used for his for people that converted brigham was like explicitly virulently racist for the time <laughs> he was really fucking racist wow 
Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, with the name uh, like Brigham. It's true. That's a racist man. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, it, yeah. No, like, like he, Brigham Young gave, gave one of his slaves to the church as a tithe payment. Oh, God. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> not good. Wow. It's like, not good at all. Just going to keep um, drinking. Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep drinking. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, yeah. Stalin of Mormonism. <laughs> virulently racist for the 1830s uh-huh so like <laughs> real 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 racist <laughs> uh, and yeah and unfortunately he had like a bigger brigham had a bigger impact on the whole of the church than than joseph smith did yeah. but um yeah joseph was well that but that's the thing like the second guy is the guy that really is shapes the dick. it like it, he yeah they're always a dick <laughs> and the dick. they're the one that shapes it for more like yeah. like you have Jesus and mm-hmm. then you have Paul. Yep. You have a John, honestly, I would say John Calvin. And then there was his successor, which I think his name was Theodore Beza. Oh God. Real oh, I'm terrified. I'm terrified now. <laughs> like if you're an asshole compared to John Calvin. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, and, and I would actually say that Calvin might not have been as bad Calvinism if it wasn't for as Calvinism. Okay. Yeah. I think so. Calvin had like, was not great. I will say, but I think Calvinism is more the child of Theodore Beza as, as I remember it from seminary. Yeah. So, but like, yeah, it's like, you've got the guy who's like, maybe problematic, maybe great. But then the next guy, total asshole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It kind of ruins it. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, Joseph Smith was very, very far from being (laughs) like a a great guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, he was the fifth of 11th kit of 11 kids. And grew up to be a major sex pest, which I think is called pulling a dugger. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was there were some problems there uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, something that I learned today that I am not going to even get into because I was fucking mortified. But when he was like, when Joseph Smith was like ten or eleven, he got really really sick, got a bone infection, and had to have surgery. And having surgery in uh, the eighteen teens. Mm-hmm. It's not a good time for anybody. And uh I was I was just like, I, I have a 10-year-old, and I was just like, oh my fucking like I can't I can't imagine. Anyway, no. moving on. <laughs> Don't want to dwell on that. Definitely just just gonna take a drink and, and keep it rolling. Um <laughs> so but yeah, his family kind of seemed to be all over the map religiously. So, you know, his mom would like see visions and like talk to God and stuff. So he was very much like primed for this. Yeah sort of behavior is he's like starting starting up the church and you know he didn't really go to school um he went to school for a few years was mostly taught at home when he didn't have to go out and work with his dad to like try to feed the family because unfortunately his dad's primary occupation was like a an unsuccessful dirt farmer and it wasn't entirely his dad's fault like for for those of you who haven't looked up the year without a summer, it's one of the more fascinating things I think and tragic events in in human history. And he they got like caught up in the middle of that shit too. So it was just, it was just a real hard time to have eleven kids, <laughs> yeah. Like no modern medicine at all. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it, so. it is interesting that like I think both of like this particular great awakening quote unquote, does come on the tail on the heels of this, of these tragedies, you know? Mm -hmm. And so people are looking for answers and people are looking for what is, you know, the thing and, you know, 
like people are primed to find an escape. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If there's enough, if there's nothing else that you can do, um, may as well stare right. into a hat and talk to God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. But this is like getting ahead of myself. one of, one of the best things ever. <laughs> Cause I like, didn't. Okay. Here's the thing. So apparently one of the things that Joseph's family got into was treasure hunting, <laughs> which horrifyingly this included like literally raiding Indian burial mounds looking for gold. Okay. Just again, I'm like, this is why I was thinking about the fucking Titanic submarine bullshit before we even started talking. Cause I was just like, can you guys just please like let dead Leave people rest for fuck's alone. sake? Like, leave them alone. Um, and I understand, like, that's hardly, the Titanic is hardly the most popular place to go looking at dead people. But, like, st just stop. It's not It's not entertainment. It's just, like, let people rest in peace, for fuck's sake. This is why I want to be cremated. No one is going to gawk at me. <laughs> Spread me out into the um, lake and be done. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but, so... Yeah, his family was into treasure hunting um, and did this thing called dousing. I don't know. I didn't know what the fuck that was. So I went and looked it up on, on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, it's basically a type of divination that attempts to find like groundwater and like gold or buried metals or whatever and gemstones and oil and grave sites and like earth vibrations. I don't know what that means. <laughs> without the use, this is, this is Wikipedia, without the use of a scientific apparatus. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 like uh, you're the metal detector now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wikipedia is very makes sure to say like scientific evidence shows that there's dowsing is no more effective than random chance. But again, well, one of the times I got to think about this, how this goes. So one of the times he was out doing his divining, whatever um, he would all he'd also like pray or like meditate, um, and so. You know, sometimes he would have these like conversations with God. And then at some point, one night in the middle of the night, he like had a had a, a meeting, a late night <laughs> meeting with the angel Moroni. Mm -hmm. And um Moroni was basically came from heaven to tell Joseph to um do some things to build the kingdom of God and also told him that there was a book deposited nearby that was written on golden plates that gave an account of the quote former inhabitants of this continent and the source from whence they sprang so like really fucking really fucking funny so from what i understand joseph gets up the next day he goes he finds the plate but moroni won't let him take the plates because he wasn't like worthy yet i guess he had to like purify himself mm -hmm. uh-huh right genius um so it was actually several years before he was able to like take the plates and then he went and his job per Moroni was to translate them from the language of reformed Egyptian into English using a seer stone that, as you said, he stuck into a hat. Mm -hmm. so, just off to a fucking great, great start already. This sounds like the basis of a rational religion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 100%. Seems like a real normal guy. Yeah. So basically, it, it oh, makes turning bread into wine or bread, not turning bread into wine, God. <laughs> like multiplying loaves and fishes. Loaves and fishes. And, you know, making bread and wine turn into, I don't know, the essence of a human being. Like, it makes that seem kind of tame, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Oh, gosh. Okay, so then there was, like, this fucking tragedy, right? Because he, like, he has his, his wife, Emma, um, and then one of his buddies, Martin, like, he was stick- he sticks his head in the hat with the little rock and, like, starts talking. And they're, like, his scribe, right? So they're just, like, writing everything down. <laughs> and his buddy, Martin, his Martin's wife was like, what the fuck are you idiots doing? This is so dumb. <laughs> and so Martin's like, I got to go and I got to show her the... The book, right? So they write the first the first book of the Book of Mormon. And Martin's like, I gotta go and show this to my wife because I gotta convince her like we're doing the Lord's work. He takes it to his wife, it gets lost. <laughs> Joseph has no way to recover it because he pulled it all out of his ass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he can't so the first book of Mormon is literally just like lost to time. I assume that like Martin's wife probably just like threw it in the fire or something. <laughs> so he just uh so that happened and then and then uh joseph was really heartbroken and stuff and moroni took the golden plates away to punish him for losing the first chapter oh my god conveniently 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 yes (laughs) we're off to a great Um, start here oh killing it It is amazing it's just everything about this is so fucking fun i mean it's not it's like so much of it is really messed up but then there's a lot of it that's really really legitimately funny yeah so moroni eventually gives the golden plates back joseph like bangs out the rest of the book of mormon like as fast as possible and then once he like once he copied the whole thing um in air quotes uh moroni came back to take the plates back because he couldn't keep them you don't get to keep these (laughs) oh my gosh so yeah thus 1830 ta-da mormonism Mm -hmm. (laughs) they have their own official book starting a church all he needs a book start a church i mean it kind of seems that way honestly (laughs) like yep yeah, Joseph immediately kind of like takes a turn for for the worse. Uh, apparently, well, per uh, people's descriptions of him and the paintings slash images that we that survive of him, he was like a really attractive guy. He was very charismatic, like um, easy to talk to. Just sort of seemed like a you know somebody who seemed interesting and like charismatic and could like get people's attention. Which, you know, usually not a great thing for somebody who has traits of narcissism. (laughs) Yeah, like you want... Less than ideal. That's a potent mix. I mean, and honestly, to to be able to pull this off, he had to have been charismatic as fuck. Like, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, he moves to Ohio, starts sending out missionaries from Ohio. um, And the locals didn't really like the Ohio folks didn't really like Joseph Smith because he was kind of like amassing this political power and this following. And he seems to have developed a nasty habit of like not paying back his loans and taking his missionaries wives while they were out on mission. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so they weren't they weren't huge fans um, of his. But yeah, polygamy was was a thing they called it he called it he called it the doctrine of plural marriage which i fucking love yeah that's great like oh okay cool cool cool, cool. um yeah he also he, he opened joseph opened his marriage and conveniently forgot to tell his wife the thing no one else has very, ever very typical ex-evangelical honestly unfortunately yeah unfortunately yes 
gosh. <laughs> he secretly married between 30 and 40 women. Oh, my God. He's like trying some, some Solomon nonsense. Yeah, no. Uh, and some of his missionaries weren't super excited either when they came back and realized he had stolen their wives and daughters. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, again, you have to be really fucking charismatic to be able to pull this shit off. Mm-hmm. And um, I took your wife for the Lord. Oh, okay. That's fine. God told me to. God, God told me that I, I, and it's just, this is so, this is like mind boggling to me. Like, Cause, cause Brigham Young also had, you know, 30, 40 wives, which one, just like, what the fuck? How do you even remember who you're fucking married to? And like, also what happens to all the other dudes? Like they're, they're not, they're not like 40 women for every one man in the state of Utah. Like what the fuck is happening to these dudes? Yeah. I don't know. this is a question that has never been answered. Apparently. Some guys got all the wives and other guys, most of the guys got none, seems like. Yeah, so polygamy became kind of like a make it or break it issue in the Mormon church. Um, The first Republican, God, I don't remember who it was. Excuse me, the first Republican, excuse me, sorry, the first Republican candidate for president or like, yeah, when the first Republican candidate for president ran, I've talked about this before. One of the party platforms was to get rid of the twin evils of slavery and polygamy. So um, it really got out of hand rather quickly. (laughs) This like the doctrine of plural marriage kind of blew up amongst some real shitty men, it seems like. And uh, the U.S. was really not not into it. The the men in the cities where the Mormons would wind up also not super into it (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they were they were, you know, they were losing losing their wives, losing their kids. It's very much like hide your wife, hide your kids uh, from the situation Mormons. from the Mormons. <laughs> and um, eventually, yeah, they got chased out of Ohio and they wound up in the promised land of Missouri, which fun fact is where the garden of Eden was. <laughs> of course, according to, uh, yeah, according I mean, I've to- heard the Ozarks are pretty, but <laughs> no, um, the Mormons also own, like the Mormon church, excuse me, owns something like 14,000 acres of land in Missouri because they claim that that's like the original site of the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I, mean, I know way too much about this fucking cult, you guys. <laughs> like way too much. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I mean, I, I knew a lot, but I'm still learning things. Like, <laughs> if, like I, if I was drinking, if I was playing our drinking game, I'd be under the table right now yeah yeah right it's just there's just so there's so many and it's just yeah anyway it's it's fun because it's not like christianity or catholicism where it's like the original documents go so far back that it's like you can't really prove anything except you know on the occasion like Mm -hmm. there's some archaeological evidence uncovered which does you know does happen from time to time as we've discussed but um yeah this is like some old person's (laughs) great great grandpa right (laughs) you know like totally pretty well oh, attested man. to yeah it was it just wasn't they were they were they had cameras back then mm-hmm. <laughs> very different um from the, the ancient near east but yeah polygamy is like one of the doctrines of of the church that like the official mormons eventually had to reject in order to be like accepted into the union but then there were all these people who sort of spun off called the fundamentalist 
Latter-day Saints, um, FLDS, and they are still real big problems out, out West here. So that was kind of, those fuckers were sort of the premise of Under the Banner of Heaven and that whole thing, because this woman had been like, well, first of all, the dudes were, especially the, the one, the one brother was like, no, I'm the person that like God appointed to lead the church. (laughs) Like I'm the next prophet. I, and like, I get to marry whoever I want, and anybody who says that I don't get to do that like needs to die. But yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that are really radicalized, and I the the book doesn't make a very good distinction of this. Again, it was you know it was twenty years ago, so there we just we weren't having the same kinds of conversations. But John Krakauer, who wrote the book, was talking about how there's this really interesting sort of dynamic at play where feminists were supporting the Mormon church in opposing polygamy because of like the child marriages and the ACLU was supporting the fundamentalists because freedom of speech and religion (laughs) was like, Oh my fucking God, you guys stop. I like did nobody. I, I just, I can't like, how is the concept of, of power analysis? Like, so new like what the fuck like how are people who are like professionals at this stuff and i just i don't know that was like mind-boggling to me and it still seems like i don't know maybe there's like still like some sort of old guard at the aclu it still seems like they kind of veer into this territory a lot of like defending you know nazis and whatever um and i don't think like freedom of speech is clearly very important but that doesn't mean you like it doesn't mean you get an audience and i don't think it means that you deserve to have like your bigotry supported yeah, by people and, who uh and like you're aren't fine, into that. it's fine for you to believe and to say that polygamy is all right but for us to be like hey sure you can do this well it's more of the kids yeah <laughs> that's that's the issue for me right and it's like i don't i don't personally like i said i don't think there's anything inherently wrong with polygamy if it's consensual um, and that is the inherent problem with FLDS and, and, and LDS in general, honestly, is it's like 100% patriarchy, like top to bottom, mm-hmm. like men yeah. are in control and it doesn't really matter. And this is like, we're super parallels with evangelicalism. It doesn't really matter what the wife wants, what the kid wants. Like, that's not really the concern. Yeah. You're married forever. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, your marriage is not like till death do you part it's right like it's you're in, into eternity go procreate and make your own galaxy <sighs> yeah oh my gosh but um anyway so i don't i don't know it's there are uh there are people in in doing lots of bad things and then having that defended by like freedom of religion bullshit and like you can practice your religion that's fine but like child marriage is wrong regardless of who you like point blank the mm-hmm. end yeah um and you know That's these a child right totally can't consent sorry and you can't consent for them as their parent because fuck you yeah. <laughs> like it's like oh yeah you need to it's like you just turned 12 so you need to go marry my 74 year old great uncle yeah, which I'm- is like fucked up but that like literally happens still now and And i've I've never met a parents rights advocate that wasn't advocating for that kind of bullshit yeah 
Yeah. It's like my children are my property mm-hmm. and not, not cool. So that's like definitely one of the shittier parts of, of the religion. Maybe the shittiest legacy of Mormonism yeah. actually in terms of just in terms of like the quantity of harm caused. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to believe weird stuff, like, Hey, my spiritual leader got this when he looked inside of a hat. Fine. <laughs> But like when it's like, yeah. hey, he looked yeah, inside totally. of a hat and was like, hey, child brides, that's it. Okay, that's where I go. Mm, okay, right. No. <laughs> like that's where we draw yeah, we totally, draw lines. Totally. And yeah. Yeah. And, absolutely. And it's and anytime it's like unchecked power, like just because mm-hmm. you have a dick. Yeah. Also problematic. Truly, truly. But it's you know, it's not it's not seen that way because like I said, there's like this doctrine of any any male over the age of 12 is a priesthood holder, which means that they, you know, 12-year-old boys basically have more spiritual authority than than grown women in the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. Like, they really, like, prime you for this shit from birth, which, again, it's like, even if you, yeah, like, people, people need to be able to have a choice in, like, what they do and who they marry. I know this is really controversial, but like, come on, guys, get it together. And uh, the state really like won't pursue a lot of these people because it's not worth it's not worth the time or energy or resources that it would take to save these kids. So they just kind of get trafficked like from different FLDS communities in, you know, Arizona, Utah, and then between like Mexico and Canada, essentially. So yeah, super, super, super fucked up. We just like let that happen, mm-hmm. and we're fine with it. And and this is where like I think evangelicalism can kind of like. Well, I should say again, these movements didn't spring out of nowhere. I mean, Mormonism mm-hmm. is a more extreme version of this, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these holiness movements still had very patriarchal views. I think that's what. You know, we, we saw you see this one in shiny happy people with the Duggars. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's not Mormonism, it, but it's each head of household is essentially yeah. a sovereign nation unto themselves mm-hmm. that can that decides what their wife can do, decides what their children can do, can be like chillingly violent towards them, and that's just you know policing our borders. You know. Definitely. I mean, I think really tracks directly back to like people have all this unprocessed anger. They don't know what to do with it. And so they ended up, they end up taking it out on their families or if they're cops, they end up taking it out on the community that they're policing or, you know, it's like we, these, like you said, it doesn't spring out of nowhere. And it's like, it's a, it's very, these dynamics are very attractive to a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's pretty fucking scary. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we never we never actually ended up like talking about the show. You ended up watching the whole thing. I watched most of it. OK. OK. Yeah, it was it was pretty. I felt like it was really good. They also did. I didn't realize the book also tracked back to like other stuff that had happened, like how the church was founded and, and all that, because the book really goes into that. But I didn't realize this, this, this show was going to also. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I, I have watched and under the banner of heaven. Yes, I thought you were talking about shiny, happy people. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, I have. Yeah, I've I did watched. watch all of Under the Banner of Heaven, which was excellent. The, sh- the mm-hmm. show was excellent. The James and James Andrew Garfield, mm-hmm. like, did an incredible, incredible job. Sam Worthington was kind of a older brother. 
that dude, if they ever make a biopic about Mark Driscoll, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> should definitely play. That's my casting choice for Mark Driscoll. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Completely. Not agree. that he deserves a biopic, but if he continues down his problematic road, eventually he will have a biopic. And I'm just going to put Sam Worthington. So, anyway, uh, yeah, like that's the. The fact that there's like Mormonism in and of itself is kind of a fundamentalist religion, but then that there are right. like fundamentalist Mormons, even Mormons are like, whoa, hey, <laughs> like cool it, man. We don't need to be executing folk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is sort of the problem when one of their foundational, one of the foundational tenets of Mormonism was that every, every man gets to hear directly from God for himself, right? Mm-hmm. There is no, there is no priesthood like hierarchy in terms of, of like you hearing from god and so yeah there's like no checks and balances at all and you know i'm not i don't i don't think even most i don't you know i don't think even most mormons are like abusing like abusing their wives like i don't think that that's the case um the data doesn't bear that out either but it again like i said it's very attractive to a certain type of person who is very inclined towards abusive behavior and um and doesn't see it as abuse but sees it as following following god right like following the the commands of the lord yeah even if most mormons don't abuse their wives their belief system and the permission structure that they live in would have no problem with it yeah or generally would not frown upon it and that's that's where it's that's where it's problematic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right that there's there isn't really any recourse for people who do end up in that situation which they absolutely do but yeah that that definitely seems to be like the legacy of of mormonism the the bad one <laughs> the bad ones mm-hmm. at least is there a good one not that I not that bad? I know of. Uh, probably like probably neutral to bad, except for the fact that like I still can go and like read this shit and like fall over laughing because it is so fucking hysterical. Like the stuff that the stuff that is not harmful is so dumb as to be continually funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I'm not. I'm not. I'm not personally mad about that. I just like you know. Oh my God, something else too that I totally wanted to talk about because like after, after they, the Mormons left Ohio, they went to Missouri to the promised land or whatever, whatever the fuck they were calling it. Um, Mm -hmm. and something that I was so struck by in the book and kind of picked up on this a little bit in the show as well was, you know, in Missouri, they were like absolute pariahs. And in fairness, they were pretty terrible neighbors, right? Like they would come come in and like vote as a block and take over the politics of a given area and just like start using their own currency and not, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't do business with their neighbors who weren't Mormons. Um, I don't think making up your own currency was legal even back then, but there were probably fewer mechanisms to enforce that. Yeah. Uh, but okay. I was yeah, so still traveled by the speed of pony. Like. <laughs> But I was so struck by the way that the Mormons were treated in Missouri was so, 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 so similar to the way that like black people were treated in the South, even like free black people. Hmm. Um, Like the parallels were just really kind of astounding to me, which again was interesting because, you know, the church got very racist very quickly after Joseph died. And I don't think it was not racist to start with. Um, But you think they could have found common cause with people of color, but no, right. 
they didn't. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. They could have. And yeah. So basically like they, the governor of Missouri, like put out this edict that basically like anybody, if, if you found a Mormon, you were allowed to kill them. Like that's how bad it got. And so obviously things, things did not, things did not go well in that, in that particular context. Um, you know, people were like burning, burning down Mormon homes and businesses and, um, then like obviously the Mormons and, were like, and they were legitimately like harmed. Like it yeah. was, I mean, yeah, they, right. they, they, they fucked around, but they found out in a way that was probably disproportionate to the fucking around. Yeah. I, I, that seems to be the case in, in the Missouri section for sure. For sure. It was very much like it was it, the treatment was like unconstitutional, right? Yeah. It was like, it was illegal. Um, obviously there are ways to like, we have courts for this. And again, like the Mormons didn't think that they had to answer to the courts of the land, right? Because they were God's chosen people and mm -hmm. so on. Um, but still like that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you get to go and like burn someone's fucking house down with them inside of it. But yeah, so the, the Missouri jaunt didn't last a terribly long time just because of the, all of the, all the violence that again, yeah, they instigated, but the reaction was disproportionate, mm. I would say. Um, yeah. So then next spot, they, <laughs> the next spot they go is Illinois, mm -hmm. um, where Joseph starts a militia. <laughs> yeah. They're like, okay, well, lesson learned. Which based on their experience, like I get it, but also like they literally had fucking hitmen. Yeah, they they definitely so like became like, the thing that they were running from. Uh -huh, like, and uh -huh. and th this is I mean, and this is where like the really problematic this be and and further on are the really problematic and we, we can't get into all of it. Um there yeah. would probably be two or three podcasts, like but you know, this is like, you know, where I think it starts where they get very, very violent. They get very shoot first, ask questions later, you know, particularly mm -hmm. when it comes to like when they get out West and meet, you know, indigenous populations mm -hmm. like, Hey, they're not Mormons. We, you know, light them yeah. up and, and that's bad. Um, yeah. but you know, but Joseph Smith, he, he died of old age in his bed, right? Like, yeah, totally. He totally did. That was great. <laughs> No, he like, um, they, some, some Missouri or no, anyway, he, he was captured by, uh, law enforcement and, um, put in a jail that was actually just a house with, with some other folks. And, you know, the, the jailer quote unquote was overrun by people who were trying to like break in and lynch him. And they, that was functionally what they ended up doing. And yeah, so then, then, you know, there was a huge, he didn't, he didn't dictate who was going to be in charge of the church after he died. His wife, Emma wanted it to be their oldest son, which is what he'd kind of said, but their oldest son was like 12 at the time. Um, so yeah, Brigham Young ended up taking like the majority of the people outside of, <laughs> outside of the U S they're like, I think we're tired of moving from like moving states every five to 10 years. Yeah. Well, and, and he, he was yeah. pretty And then young. he started a theocracy. He was pretty young. I mean, maybe mm, I don't. He I don't was, know what the actual. Look. Yeah, he died at the age of thirty-eight. Yeah, like that's a eventful life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. yeah, he did a lot. He did a lot. He got around. <laughs> yeah, more ways than one. In in many ways, he got around. Um, uh -huh. 
yeah, and then yeah, then they go out west, and that's kind of where they settle down. And and Brigham Young was again brutally violent to people that yeah. weren't Mormon. No, uh, he started a theocracy mm-hmm. in Utah. Like that's literally what he did. He was like, "This is our." <laughs> you think that when they, when they, yeah, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of Utahns, a lot of Mormons rather, still refer to Utah as like Deseret or the Kingdom of Deseret because that mm-hmm. was the name of the place. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young was like, this is the place. <laughs> they were like, yeah, it was, it was Desiree, but they wanted to be as, they intentionally wanted to be as far away from anybody else as possible. Um, because again, it's like, fuck around, find out sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work the way you want it to. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And he, he, he started a theocracy. Like that's, that's what that was. And I do think that Brigham Young did die peacefully in his bed, if I recall correctly, um and like henry Kissinger. after having what like henry kissinger uh-huh yes after having mm, untold unknown numbers of people assassinated and yeah like screwing over all of the indigenous people in the area yeah the normal <laughs> the normal stuff right the normal stuff the- you do when you're second in line of a fledgling religion Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. But had a bajillion wives. You can go and look at pictures of them on the internet if you are so inclined. I have some, I have, I'm like not at all to like shame anybody, but there, there's some pretty interesting folks in that lineup. And again, how the fuck do you keep track of having 40 spouses? I don't, yeah, I, no. Can you imagine, like, can you imagine having like 40 friends? Yeah, <laughs> like 40 friends you hang out with like on a fucking regular like that is unbelievable yeah that's, that's just a lot um, um and yeah had i think close to 70 children by the time he died as well so yikes you can't big you, yikes you can't love them <laughs> you but you can love yourself you or can you can at least your, service yourself. You can love yourself. That's definitely, I think that's what Brigham Young did for sure. Mm-hmm. He was, he was not charismatic or charming. Uh, he was just a fucking dictator. Um, Which again, unprocessed grief and trauma uh-huh. and anger, uh-huh. you know, at being, you know, ugly and playing second fiddle, fiddle to someone who's really good looking and charismatic. Um, <sighs> yeah. Will create you know, you're going to create a theology where people have to be married to you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was wrong. He married at least 56 wives and had at least, it seemed at least 57 children. God. So, I mean, my, my grand, my great grandfather had 22 children with Whoa. two, with two wives Whoa. in succession, not at once. Right. Um, Holy fuck. But my grandpa was the last of the 22. Oh um, my god! But so I mean, that wasn't like unheard of, but still, like fifty some kids. Like, why? That's like some Genghis Khan bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it really. Is. Oh gosh, it really, it really, truly is. Um, um, yeah. So I don't know what we learned from this, other than just like the origins of Mormonism are. A lot, <laughs> and there's, and there's, we the really just origins of Mormonism are a lot. We did not, we didn't even scratch the surface. To be perfectly honest, this is this is actually really funny though. He like low key dressed like a king. 
which is just like 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 seems slightly inspired by napoleon dressed like a king. yes like i've seen those pictures of him like where he's you know governor of the utah territory and it's like yeah you you really thought highly of yourself like mm-hmm. like just some kind of yeah so but i i think it's interesting how like the kind of the origin story of mormonism and the, i think the origin story of evangelicalism too because like mm-hmm. the 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 roots they have the same they have similar roots even if they branched off in wildly different areas the yeah. the, the roots of patriarchy and the roots of cuz cuz again like also in these movements were suffrage movements there were mm-hmm. abolition movements there were movements that are, are very good and that that were in some ways at odds sometimes and sometimes they worked with them like and it just beca- it beca- it's this odd mess that that we still in some ways have to live with yeah yeah it is um he i also i find a time i find found a tiny bit of solace in the fact that uh brigham did not die peacefully i forgot about this he had some form of cholera and inflammation of the bowels and then died of probably a ruptured appendix so he did not go out comfortably (laughs) you know which is the least he deserves like oh my fucking god Mm -hmm. I did I did go to his grave though one time and I wanted to spit on it but you can't really get on it without like standing on another grave and I just like don't fuck with that so uh, yeah. also it's got a big it's got a big fence around it like a big wrought iron fence yeah. uh, so I was like mm, I don't really know I guess I'm not gonna I guess I'm not gonna fulfill my dream of spitting on Brigham Young's grave um, me being one of the people that he said would have to be instantly executed on site yeah for being a mixed race person, which was not okay. No, he's not. He's not okay. He I was think. not okay. It's like it'd be very important for me to javelin mixed race people, and if my brother was fucking my wife, <laughs> like where, where, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Was, How do you even come up with this shit? Yeah. So yeah, he went on very uncomfortably, and I am not mad about it. Not even a little bit. Yeah. So. Got got less than what he deserved, I think. But mm-hmm. less than what he doled out—that's for damn sure. Yeah, but hopefully we can laugh at his weirdness and yeah, and hopefully dismantle his legacy mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, well, thanks, folks, for sticking it out as we scratched the surface. gave We gave Mormonism a scratch. <laughs> we might <laughs> return. So much there. We might return at some point. But yeah, this is just the weird ways that religion manifests itself in America is sometimes endlessly fascinating. So thanks for hanging out with us and go check us out on patreon.com slash go home Bible or on the socials. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. 
It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.